Hello, this is Jonathan with Limitless Mindset, and this is my book review of The Plant Paradox by Dr. Gundry. You're being royally fracked by lectins, and I am going to use that Battlestar Galactica word, frack, instead of the F word here. Boy, that was a great TV show, wasn't it? It was just so compelling with that epic story arc. There was the uh, the Cylons, the robots genociding humanity. There was the Cylons pretending to be humans. There was that hot chick in the red dress. There was Gaius Baltar. Ooh, don't get me started on Gaius. Anyways, because I don't want to have to mark this podcast as explicit, saying the F word all the time, I'm going to say fracked. I'm going to uh, substitute there. So this is going to be a deep dive on this book, which I read while I was taking a vacation with my wife at the resplendent Black Sea coast here in Bulgaria. I found this to be a real notable book on nutrition. It it red-pilled me on a couple of nutrition things. So I think there's going to be some real good stuff in here for you all to implement. And I would ask you to please signal boost this podcast however you can, whether you're listening on CastBox or iTunes or Pod perfect. There's there's like 25 of those different podcast services that I distribute to now. You can upvote, you can comment, you can like, you can heart, you can whatever kind of little button you can press there too. Just give this a little bit more validation. I would really appreciate the validation because this is really important information and it gets it out there just a little bit further if you can share it around. I appreciate that. So, like I said, you're being royally fracked by lectins. And you're probably saying, what the heck is a lectin? Maybe you don't know. So they are microscopic instruments of violence yielded in the 400 million year old Cold War between the animal kingdom, us included, bugs, and plants. This book makes the case that the avoidance of lectins is a crucial piece to the puzzle of great health, that the nutrition and diet gurus of at least the past several decades have been missing. Quote, I've discovered a significant part of the answer to the mystery of why our collective health has declined and our collective weight has risen so drastically in just a few decades. And it starts with plant proteins called lectins. Lectins are found in almost all plants, as well as some other foods. In fact, lectins are present in the vast majority of foods in the current American 
diet, including meat, poultry, and fish. Among their other functions, lectins level the playing field in the war between plants and animals. So lectins are a defense that plants mount to poison us. Quote, quite simply, plants don't want to be eaten. And who can blame them? You might be saying, dear listener, wait a minute. I remember when plants were healthy. Now you're saying they're unhealthy? Is this a Mandela effect? No, it's not a Mandela effect. It's an effect of the really awful state of the mainstream understanding of nutrition and of the progress of nutrition science out of the nutrition dark age that has characterized the standard Western diet for about the past half century. Please disabuse yourself of the notion that eating vegetables and fruit is universally healthy just because they are plants and plants are nicer than animals. Plants are in a fight for their lives, just like everything else on this planet. The plant paradox alluded to in the book's title is, quote, we may be at war with plants, but they, or at least most of them, contain the vitamins, minerals, and a long list of flavonoids, antioxidants, polyphenols, and other micronutrients essential for our microbiome's health, and consequently, our health. Grains and beans were both the best and worst things that could have happened to our species. The book makes the case that without lectin-rife foods, we as a species would still be scratching around in the dust. We'd be living in a, uh, in a state of nature. Life would not be a lot of fun. It would be uh, brutal and short. But what's got us here is not going to get us there. Let's unravel the paradox further. Autoimmune disease is downstream from lectins. This is an important point. More people than ever are now stricken with annoying and debilitating autoimmune diseases. Their immune systems just don't seem to like them very much. I'm sure you know somebody who struggles with an autoimmune disease. And this has everything to do with lectins. Quote, but the most dangerous trick pulled by lectins, which I see now on a daily basis in my patients, is that they bear an uncanny similarity to the proteins on many of our important organs, nerves, and joints. Now, in an abundance of caution, 
your immune system doesn't want to make a mistake in defending your body by not attacking something important. In the days before antibiotics, you would have been in big trouble if bacteria were present in your body, which is why your immune system is hypersensitive to anything that even remotely resembles a bacterial cell wall or other foreign protein. So when you think of lectins, think of that 90s horror movie, Mimic. Maybe you remember it in the article. I uh, linked to the trailer if you want to go and check it out for a bit of nostalgia. In this movie, giant predatory bugs evolve and start mimicking humans, causing havoc. And then some uh, very attractive uh, team of crack scientists go and uh, beat them, of course. That's sort of what's going on with lectins, with disastrous biological consequences for us. Quote, in fact, much of what we assume is a normal part of the aging process is actually the cumulative effect of lectin toxicity. Lectins royally frack your gut. The sapient biohacker gets that life sucks when there's a state of discord in their gut, which lectins cause. Quote, Lectins, which are designed to disrupt cellular communication by, among other things, causing gaps in the intestinal wall barrier, a condition known as leaky gut. Plants purposely make lectins that are virtually indistinguishable from other proteins in your body, a tactic called molecular mimicry. Lectins are nearly indistinguishable from certain other proteins in your body. By mimicking such proteins, lectins fool the host's immune system, causing it to attack the body's own proteins. Lectin-rife foods to avoid tomatoes, pumpkin, quinoa, corn, zucchini, cucumbers, I never did like cucumbers, wheat-based foods, cashews, yes, those tasty cashews, you gotta give them up, lentils, beans, I never like beans either, chili peppers, green beans, green beans, so boring, right, squashes, legumes, ugh, legumes, I was never a fan, bell peppers, eggplant, no, not my eggplant, Dr. Gundry. Don't, don't tell me I gotta give up my eggplant. Soy products and peanuts, to name some of the worst offenders. The book includes a much more complete list. How might you know right away that you're consuming lectins? Quote, lectins are the cause of sinus issues because excessive mucose production is the first line of defense to entrap the lectins we 
consume. Next time your nose runs after you eat spicy salsa, remember this. You might question, but how can plants and their lectins be so bad for us? We've been eating plants since time immemorial. Well, unsurprisingly, our susceptibility to lectins has everything to do with the toxicity of modernity. Quote, in the last half century, we have abandoned many of the tried and true ways of eating and preparing foods, opting instead for fast food, processed food, ultra-processed food, microwave meals, and on and on. The makeup of our diet has also changed significantly. Corn, soy, and wheat, all packed with lectins, are in most processed foods. The lectin load on humans is higher than ever. But there's much more to the story. In this same five-decade time span, an onslaught of herbicides, biocides, drugs, fertilizers, food additives, skincare products, and a host of other chemicals has also disrupted your internal messaging system, your gut, and the microbiomes in your gut. That chemical overload has compromised your ability to deal with grains, legumes, and other lectin-bearing plants. And Dr. Gundry, the author, I've got a, a great photo of him in the article here. He looks like a very uh, charming older gentleman. He has reached the conclusion after decades of practice that many of the diseases that afflict us are downstream from lectins. Others, my patients, turn up when they are suddenly confronted with a diagnosis of diabetes, cancer, Parkinson's disease, Alzheimer's disease, or another form of dementia, or another life-threatening condition. It should come as no surprise that I believe that the underlying mechanism that unleashes all these outcomes is the breakdown of the intestinal barrier by lectins in cahoots with the seven deadly disruptors, which he addresses in the book. I'm not saying here that lectins are the one cause of all diseases. My friend Mark Sloan has made the case in his books that disease ultimately emanates from dysfunctional cellular metabolism. You can imagine how a lot of friendly fire from the immune system because of lectins would certainly result in havoc on the microscopic metabolic level. Grains royally frack you. This part of the book made me unhappy. Bread and grains are highly problematic because of a nasty little 
lectin acronymized WGA, which is especially common in the tasty whole grain bread that you thought was healthy. I certainly did. Quote, you may have heard of the French paradox, which refers to the fact that the French are able to eat baguettes made with white flour, drink red wine, and enjoy butter without gaining weight or suffering the ill effects, specifically heart disease, that plague Americans. But the real reason that both French men and women are more likely to keep their shape and have fewer heart problems than Americans is that they are not consuming WGA. To summarize, in ancient times, when food was scarce, weight gain from consuming the lectins in grains and beans was a huge benefit. But today, the same result works against us. So how do you avoid WGA? Simply steer clear of whole grain bread and other whole grain products. Crackers royally frack you. Quote, it is likely that BHT has been added if the food comes in a wrapper or has the words whole grain. Don't forget that any cracker, bread, cookie, or crunchy bar probably also contains transglutamase. Food manufacturers are not required to list this chemical on the packaging. It is necessary to add dangerous preservatives such as butyl hydroxyltulene to block the oxidation of the polyunsaturated oils in those whole grains. Bummer. So I'll have to give up the tasty, quote-unquote, organic whole grain crackers that I enjoy eating with tahini and honey. You'll find these uh, really tasty, quote-unquote, organic uh, crackers and bread products that are just super tasty, and you can find them at any organic shop, and you'll be like, boy, these these taste good for for being organic. You know, I'm I feel good about myself. I'm I'm eating something healthy, and unfortunately, this is not the case, my friends. If if a, a bread product, if a really almost any product, if it can sit at room temperature on a store shelf for weeks and weeks or months and months or maybe even longer, which is probably the case with those crackers you're getting at an organic store, that means that they are pumping a bunch of nasty uh, inorganic uh, chemicals into those things so that they can sit there and still taste good after they've been sitting there for months and months. If it seems too good to be true, then... It probably is, unfortunately. Tahini, which I mentioned, a a staple in my diet, is a great lectin-safe food. You guys should look into tahini. You can think of it as a healthy peanut butter. 
which it has the consistency of and sort of tastes like. Tahini is calorie dense and filling. You can make a meal out of it or just have a few spoonfuls as a snack. It's very affordable. It makes a decent prepping food as you can store it for the mid-term. During the COVID-19 lockdowns of 2020, I put about a six-month supply of it into my doomsday prepping bunker, and it didn't go bad. For longer-term food preps, you'd need to refrigerate it, though. Tahini is something I'd never even heard of before I moved to Europe and my hot Bulgarian girlfriend, now wife, introduced me to it. Now I enjoy it almost every day. So eat tahini, guys, and get a Bulgarian girlfriend if you're single. She'll make your life better. The safest grain is, quote, of the 4 billion people who use rice as their staple grain, most opt for white rice. Rice eaters traditionally have little or no heart disease, a fact that I attribute to the lack of a wheat germ agrolutin, that's a WGA, from wheat in their diet. In my opinion, if you're going to add a grain back into your diet, the safest option is white basmati rice from India, not the American strain, and I'll have to try that. Also, if you're going to eat bread, eat sourdough. Would it surprise you then to learn that sourdough bread made by fermenting wheat with bacteria and yeast, consistently ranks as one of the safest and least injurious breads in terms of blood sugar spikes. Moving on, cows royally frack you. Our mooing friends seem so harmless and placid, right? Think again. A1 cows, that's right, like the steak sauce, produce dairy that humans really shouldn't be consuming because of a genetic incompatibility. Quote, if you think that drinking milk gives you a problem, it's almost certainly the cow's breed that is at fault, not milk per se. That's why I recommend that if you consume dairy, you opt for only casein A2, not A1, casein A2 dairy products, which grocery stores have recently started selling, particularly on the West Coast. Alternatively, use goat or sheep milk products to be safe. And this, of course, brings up the yogurt question. Gotta have yogurt? I prefer plain, unflavored, and unsweetened coconut milk yogurt. But 
Uh, if that is unavailable, plain goat or sheep milk yogurt will do fine. So I've made uh, an effort recently to, because I do love yogurt, yeah, I do love that tasty white stuff, to get the uh, goat yogurt. And I'll suggest you do the same. It tastes tastes great. Chickens royally frack you, unsurprisingly. The book convinced me to cut back drastically on chicken consumption. Chickens are a major source of lectins because of what the chickens are fed their entire lives. And chickens might, might make your baby gay, according to the book. Research on rats suggests that greater chicken consumption and therefore increased exposure to arsenic and phthalates expose the brains of male babies to estrogen mimetics in utero, in addition to the mother's real estrogen, which impacts sexual imprinting and potentially gender identity. We don't want that, do we? Legumes royally frack you. I always thought that legumes were lame, and this book confirmed it. Quote, beans, peas, soybeans, lentils, and other members of the legume family, often referred to as the so-called pulses, are another relatively recent agricultural addition to the human diet. An individual bean may be small, but with the highest lectin content of any food group, beans can have a big impact. Want some other examples of bean chemical warfare? Massive outbreaks of food poisoning have occurred in schools and hospitals when, as a part of, quote, healthy eating days programs, cafeterias unwittingly served undercooked beans. So you should indeed be suspicious of anything that makes you fart a lot. Antibiotics royally frack you. The war that the agricultural, industrial complex, and mainstream medicine have waged against the natural gut biome with antibiotics has everything to do with modern humans' susceptibility to lectins. Quote, every time you take a course of Leviquin, Ciproflaxin, or other broad-spectrum antibiotic for a urinary tract or another infection, you kill most of the microbes in your gut. Shockingly, it can take up to two years for them to return. Many will be gone forever. Targeted antibiotics can be life-saving, but you should be very cautious about taking broad-spectrum antibiotics for anything other than a life-threatening infection. And I will add, this is a great reason to not 
take the smart drug modafinil often. Modafinil is a favorite in the biohacking circles, and it has broad-spectrum antibiotic effects, something that uh, biohackers don't talk about a whole lot. And I do link to the uh, research that I came across on that. Phthalates. Yes, say that word a couple times. That is a word that you really have to wrap your mouth around, right? Phthalates royally frack your thyroid. Quote, so if you are tired and fat and your hair is thinning and you are eating whole grain foods and boneless, skinless chicken breast and your doctor assumes that your thyroid hormone levels are normal or your doctor assures you that your thyroid normal level that your thyroid hormone levels are normal you know uh, people have low energy they suspect thyroid issues and they go in there and they get tested and then the doctor says uh, yeah your your thyroid's normal you should think again according to dr gundry you may be making thyroid hormone but it can't get into the gate and off the plane to talk to each of your cells because phthalates are blocking the way. Phthalates are one of these nasty industrial chemicals that mimics what the uh, thyroid hormones naturally look like. So it plugs right into where the thyroid hormones are supposed to plug in, and then people end up with all these thyroid issues, they get tested for thyroid hormones, and the doctor says, oh, everything's fine, which, uh, and you're misinformed, unfortunately. And how do we unwittingly consume phthalates? It tends to leach off food packaging into our food. Another great reason to avoid packaged food. And definitely don't microwave food in its plastic packaging. This is something that a lot of people do and don't think twice about. And, oh, God, that's a bad idea. GMOs royally frack you, but you probably already knew that. Quote, because non-GMO foods are now routinely harvested by spraying Roundup on them, and given the fact that all livestock and poultry are fed these grains and beans, you get a double whammy of Roundup, even if you avoid GMO crops. This makes me thankful to live in Bulgaria, in southern Europe, where many GMOs and Monsanto are banned, and farmers here don't go full retard on GMOs as they do in the USA, where I'm from. Mouthwash royally fracks you. The use of mouthwashes, which kill mouth bacteria as they give you that minty clean breath, dramatically increase blood pressure. Bummer. So I better stop taking hits of tasty peppermint essential oil throughout the day. It's probably not great for my, uh, my mouth microbiome. Yes, that is a thing. 
And the book makes the case against eating raw. 100,000 years ago, humans made a discovery that catapulted us past all other creatures in our war with plants. Fire. Cooking partially breaks down many lectins. Plus, it is an easy way to break apart the cell wall of a plant. Previously, only gut bacteria were capable of both feats. This allowed our early ancestors to evolve in a way that dramatically lessened the amount of energy and surface area of the intestines required for digestion, a change that made calories more accessible to our energy-demanding brain. And this makes me think of this uh, book series that I read when I was a teenager. There was this really cute girl that I liked, and she told me about how she loved these books about cavemen having adventures. And uh, so I read this book series, and it was full of all these cavemen that were, uh, you know, running around and hunting mastodons. And they had a special person that was in charge of keeping the fire alight for their their uh, cave bear clan. And uh, it was a very important job. And then there was lots of hot, sexy caveman, cavewoman banking in the book. Maybe Maybe one of you out there read this book. I forget the title of it. Okay, but I digress. Moving on. More than just a little protein royally fracks you. This is bad news for the carnivore diet, folks. Sorry, sorry, Michaela Peterson. Okay, quote, My research and that of others have confirmed that we are over-proteinized as a society. From childhood, we are programmed to become proteinaholics. And eating modern animal protein is a major cause of our obesity crisis. Two recent human studies have hammered the final nail in the animal protein coffin, a fact already established in animal studies. Both studies conclude that meat consumption contributes to the current epidemic of obesity as much as if not more than our staggeringly high consumption of sugar does. Dr. Walter, Dr. Walter Longo of the longevity, and you know, I said Dr. Walter and then changed it to Dr. Walter because he's a European and here in Europe, a lot of Europeans say W when they mean V. They're, they're a bit confused, but don't worry. I, I, I correct them uh, frequently, but then sometimes I can, I confuse myself in between the W and the V. Oh, geez. Those, those two, those two letters. There's uh, so much so much contention in the world and the European, wider European sphere about them. So is it Walter or is it Walter? Oh, no. I, anyways, uh, let's just get back to what, what he's saying because he is a very wise fo- fellow. Okay, okay. Uh, he and I agree that people require only 0.37 grams of protein per kilogram of body weight. 
That's right. Since one kilogram equals 2.2 pounds, a 150-pound man needs about 25 grams of protein daily, and a 125-pound woman only about 21 grams. That's really not very much. And this gives me a flashback to about 20 years ago when I was studying a Christian form of karate. That's right, in America. The very American thing, right? Christian karate. And I had a very wise sensei there. And he explained to us, he said, okay, uh, I'm not a vegetarian, I'm not a vegan, but if you're going to eat meat, what you should do is look at your hand and look at the meaty part of your hand. So not your fingers, but that meaty center part of your hand. And that, look at your hand right now, take a look at it, say, that's, that's my hand, that's a handsome hand. And then look at that kind of a uh, kind of rectangular, meaty center part of your hand. And that's about how much meat you should be eating. So just kind of keep that in mind. When you are faced with uh, a big meaty meal, meal you're, kind of, uh, you're kind of overdoing it, right? That's one of the main points that the book makes. Quote, try to make wild fish and shellfish a you're so you're so selfish you're just such a a selfish shellfish right okay sorry my jokes are getting a little bit out of hand here we'll we'll keep this buttoned up try to make wild fish and shellfish a significant portion of your protein intake but avoid any farm raised fish do not be fooled by claims that it is organic, particularly uh, salmon, tilapia, catfish, or shrimp. So when you're going to eat fish, you want to you want to spend a little bit more. If the fish is cheap, don't fool yourself. It's not uh, it's not wild caught stuff, even if it says organic on it. The wild caught, the truly organic stuff, it should be a bit pricey. And there's some bad news here. You also get lectins from meat. Quote, as the old saying goes, you are what you eat. Don't you remember your mother telling you that? But this is important. Remember this. If you're a mother, tell, tell your children this. Let's, let's get rid of that old saying and update it a little bit with this. But you are also what the thing you ate ate. That's right. The thing that you ate, whatever it ate, that's what you are. Make sense? Quote, since we, feed, since we feed animals that wind up on our dinner table, both grains and beans and antibiotics, that toxic stew also winds up in us, creating the perfect storm. And the storm becomes even more dangerous when we overuse broad-spectrum antibiotics ourselves. So the book isn't advocating veganism or vegetarianism, but instead having very high standards with the meat you eat. 
So I'll cut back on my meat consumption to try to keep it under 25 grams daily. If I know that I have a big, indulgent, meat-rich dinner coming up on a Saturday, I'll eat, I'll eat vegetarian meals throughout the week. I'll stay away from chicken unless I know the farmer and have seen how they raise their, their cluckers. So this, this meat intake, it's, uh, it, it doesn't, it, 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 it generalizes a little bit to the time span. If you're having a week where you're eating very, very little meat, then you can maybe go a little bit crazy. Then you can maybe indulge, uh, indulge a little bit. But if you're going to have like, a, a a protein bomb, if you're going to go out to a steak restaurant with friends on a Saturday, then you probably don't want to do 25 grams every day. Then it might be actually a pretty good idea to just make that kind of a vegetarian week. Beef and pork, I'll enjoy infrequently. And pay a premium for the good stuff. And I'll try to mostly eat wild-caught seafood for protein. The uh, As I read more and as I learn more about nutrition, the uh, case for pescatarianism just becomes stronger and stronger. Next interesting subject that the book addresses is eating seasonally. A big point made is that it's madness to eat the same fruits and vegetables year-round. This is something that humans have only been doing for about the past hundred years, and it has not been good for us. Quote, omit all out-of-season fruit, except those with resistant starches and not yet ripe fruits on the say-yes-please list, avocados, notably. Preferably, give all other fruit the boot. Modern fruit is as bad as candy. The book makes the case that fruit is not a health food. I think this is uh, one of the things that they were teaching you there in, uh, in our awful... Uh, public schooling system where you'd be, uh, you know, you you get shuttled into the prison for children, and then you sit down there being uh, bored as hell while they they teach you about uh, algebra, the Holocaust, and about how fruit is healthy, and uh, fruit is in fact natural candy, which would explain why it tastes like candy. Quote. So when you eat sweet foods year-round, even if it is natural sugar from fruit, you disrupt this ancient rhythm and continually gain weight. As you've learned, eating fruit in season allowed our ancestors to fatten up for the winter. If you had good parents when you were growing up, they forbade you from eating candy most of the time when you were a child, but let you have a little bit around 
Halloween. This would seem to be a decent dietary strategy. As much as I love the tasty blueberries sold by the old women, the babas, in the street markets here in Eastern Europe, I'll refrain from eating those tasty blueberries. Boy, I love those, those blueberries. Mm. I even remember one of the first fights that I ever got in with my wife was when we were on vacation and she said, Jonathan, don't get blueberries. Uh, we're going to eat later. And I said, no, I'm going to get blueberries. Anyways, I, I, I digress. But the point I'm trying to make here is I'm going to refrain from eating them in the first, second, and fourth quarters of the year. And then I'll go a little crazy eating them around autumn, which is a uh, optimally uh, seasonal uh, strategy for intake of that tasty, tasty fruit. And the book delves even deeper into ancestral eating. Interestingly, would it surprise you to learn that early man was far more muscular before the advent of grains and beans? Take a look at any ancient Egyptian frescoes and statues. These were skinny, non-muscular people. As it turns out, insulin mimicry is the true cause of the muscle wasting as we age. The more lectins we eat, the more receptors for insulin on our muscles are filled with WGA and other lectins, and the more muscle we waste. The plant paradox in action. The very foods that promoted our ancestors' ability to gain weight and survive a harsh winter, making them more likely to produce a new genetic copy, aka a baby, were the same ones that would hasten their eventual demise and ours. Lectin-rife foods are shrinking us. Quote, based on ancient skeletal remains, we know that 12,000 years ago, humans averaged six feet in height. However, by 8,000 BCE, the average human had shrunk to four feet, 10 inches. That's a whopping 14 inches in just a few thousand years. Quote unquote, new world plants are problematic. It's not a great idea for people of European or Asian extraction to be chowing down regularly on tomatoes, squash, peppers, pumpkin, cashews, and other plants native to the Americas. Quote, again, all New World plants have troublesome lectins that most of mankind has eaten for no more than 5,000 years. Even Native Americans came from Asia. So these plants are new to all of us. Peanuts royally frack you. The peanut, which originated in the Americas, is a legume, 
not a nut, contrary to as its name would suggest. As such, it is loaded with killer lectins. And corn is for cretins. That's right. Did you know that the French banned corn as unfit for human consumption in 1900 and allowed its use only to fatten pigs? This was prompted by an outbreak of congenital mental retardation, a.k.a. cretinism. There's there's an old school word, right? in northern Italians who had adopted corn as their main grain. And Dr. Gundry unwittingly makes a blood and soil argument. The longer your ancestors had been eating a certain leaf or other plant part that contains a lectin, the more opportunity your immune system and microbiome had to evolve to tolerate that lectin. So it's kind of a good argument to stay living where your ancestors live and eat the plants that are native to there. I used to freaking love spicy, flavorful Mexican food, but then I didn't have it for several years. When I lived in Colombia instead of uh, Colorado, a little while back, my wife and I went to the one Mexican restaurant here in Sofia, and afterwards, our tummies were not pleased with us. So I'll be a little more mindful of trying to eat what my ancestors ate. The book comments on what paleo gets right and wrong. Quote, the paleo concept takes the high protein diet a step further and is based on the faulty assumption that early man dined on buffalo and other large animals on a regular basis, and that's what made us healthy. In all likelihood, such kills were hardly a regular occurrence. Instead, our forefathers likely subsisted on tubers, berries, nuts, and other protein sources, such as fish, lizards, ew, snails, ew, insects, and small rodents. Now, don't get me wrong. Our ancestral diet was designed to do what any diet does. Ensure that you grow up, reproduce, and then get out of the way. Your genes designed the ancestral diet to make you an ancestor, if you get my drift. As you know from any movie about cavemen, it was dangerous, difficult work to take down a mastodon. For hundreds of thousands of years, our ancestors were scrounging for animal protein, not gorging themselves on it. What to eat? I was happy to learn from the book 
that one of my all-time favorite foods, coconuts, which I've been eating very regularly for eight years, is lectin-free. This is because coconuts cleverly evolved a nearly impenetrable hard shell to protect the sweet white coconut meat within. That coconut meat is the ideal form of healthy fat to fuel the mind and body, putting us into a ketogenic state. Here's an interesting factoid. Quote, the best example of ketosis in action is a pregnant hibernating bear. She enters her den pregnant, but doesn't eat or drink for five months. During that time, she gestates her young, gives birth, suckles her cubs, cute little, cute little bear cubs, they're just so cuddly, aren't they? And emerges from the den skinny, but with all her muscle mass intact. If she didn't spare her muscles, she couldn't hunt for foods for her cubs. But the most amazing feat of all is that she doesn't urinate for five months. How does she do all this? She lives on the ketones from the fat that she stored for the winter. Interesting fact, right? Thou shalt eat avocados. Our dear friend, the avocado, is the only acceptable ripe fruit that contains nary a trace of sugar and is composed of good fat and soluble fiber, which help you lose weight and absorb fat-soluble vitamins and antioxidants. The book sold me on cooking with perilla oil. I recommend perilla oil. It has the highest content of rosmarinic acid from rosemary, which improves cognition and memory. You may not have heard of it, but it is the primary cooking oil in Korea, Japan, and China. It has the highest content of alpha-linolenic acid, a form of omega-3 fat associated with protecting heart health of any oil. Look for it in Asian markets, natural food stores, and Whole Foods, as well as online. And I, of course, link there on Amazon. Salt is super. Quote, unlike standard table salt, which is mined and processed, sea salt is simply harvested from evaporated seawater. However, most table salt has added iodine, a nutrient essential for proper thyroid function. To get the best of both worlds, opt for iodized sea salt. And I link to a source on that. And the book also gives a real simple recommendation for healthy homemade soda pop, which is sparkling balsamic vinegar 
spritzer. That's what he calls it. Great name, right? And here's how you make this. Eight to 10 ounces of San Pellegrino or other high pH sparkling water, chilled, and then you add one to two tablespoons of balsamic vinegar de Modena. And so that's a balsamic vinaigrette. Apparently the really fancy stuff is from uh, Modena, Italy, where they build the uh, Ferrari, right? So I also link to that stuff if you want to get a little bit fancy with your balsamic vinaigrette as opposed to just drinking the stuff that you find on the uh, shelves of your grocery store. That, that healthy soda pop, I'm really eager to try. It looks and tastes kind of like soda pop, apparently. The next major takeaway from the book is that thou shalt pressure cook. That's right. This book has thoroughly convinced me to invest in a pressure cooker, which starts at about 50 bucks for the Roseland kitchen. And I suggest you do likewise. Here's why. Quote, a pressure cooker will destroy the lectins in beans and other legumes, which are a fantastic source of non-vegetable protein, as well as in vegetables in the nightshades and squash families, which are actually fruits. Better yet, pressure cook beans shorn of their offending lectins serve as a smorgasbord for your gut buddies and can improve longevity and enhance memory. For a hassle-free, lectin-free lifestyle, a good pressure cooker can't be beat. You may be disinclined to purchase a pressure cooker, fearing that it could be dangerous. Almost everyone who grew up in the 1950s has heard about a pressure cooker exploding and creating a terrible mess and perhaps even burning the cook. Today's appliances are a whole different story. Thanks to a metal interlocking lid designed to withstand enormous pressure an airtight gasket, and a relief valve to allow the device to maintain a constant pressure so you don't got to worry about them, you know, blowing up. I'm sure there's plenty of old wives' tales about that. If you struggle with constipation and less than awesome poops, listen up. Treatment of constipation, such as psyllium powder, or husks work not as a bowel stimulator, laxative, but as a food for your gut buddies. This makes them grow and multiply, accounting for that bigger bowel movement. Even more interesting is the fact that the gang members in your gut can't eat psyllium husks and other fibers. So prebiotics feed the good guys and starve the bad guys. One of the best prebiotics is inulin and FOS that I mentioned before. So if you want to be an awesome pooper, things like psyllium husks, psyllium powder, or inulin, not insulin, but inulin are a pretty good idea to supplement 
and I will include links to those in the article. Do go and check out the article. I redesigned my website recently, and it's a very, very pleasant experience, I do say myself. Lectin avoidance makes you a super pooper. One test that many of my successful patients report is that they no longer need toilet paper. Once I was uh, joking with my wife about how uh, we'd eventually become so red-pilled that we'd realize that the toilet paper is part of the new world order to new world order uh, agenda to make us buy useless cheap uh, crap that we don't that we don't actually need you don't need it folks according to dr gundry yes really you are reading that correctly think about it do you see your dog using toilet paper there's no need with perfectly formed poops your great ape cousins don't need toilet paper either. If everything is as it should be, there is no sense of urgency as a result of loose or poorly formed stools to push out lectins or bad bugs. Wow, that's something else. So, you know, next, uh, uh, next pandemic that comes around and the masses are buying up all the toilet paper in the stores. And if you're on a lectin avoidance diet, you're just going to be chilling. You're not even going to be be worrying about the toilet paper shortage. Okay, moving on. Thou shalt fast. This book affirms that fasting is smart. Dr. Gundry is a hardcore faster. He writes, January through May of each year, I fast for 22 out of 24 hours each day during the week, eating all my calories between 6 and 8 p.m. and drinking generous amounts of green tea and mint tea, as well as a cup of coffee in the morning. I have continued this practice for the last 10 years, so I know not only that it is doable, but that it is also sustainable. Moving towards the end of this review, the evidence. Of course, the really important question with any book like this is, what's the evidence? Well, there's quite a bit. The book has nearly 200 footnotes pointing to scientific studies and clinical trials. But what I found especially convincing, was the anecdotal evidence. Dr. Gundry uh, has been a doctor for a long time, and his lectin avoidance diet has dramatically improved the health of many of his patients. Quote, in my 30 plus years of practicing medicine, I have come to the conclusion that the problems we have with our health are actually caused by very small things. Over the last 15 years, more than 10,000 of my patients have found that following my Plant Paradox program results in both weight loss and remarkable reversals of numerous health problems. For example, Sonia R., 
a 58-year-old farmer and severe diabetic, was scheduled for an emergency triple bypass after having a heart attack. Five of her arteries had severe blockages. In the pre-op room, she asked whether any other option was possible. After I told her about my dietary approach, she said she would be my best patient if I would not operate on her. She kept her promise. Three years later, she has lost 50 pounds, is no longer a diabetic, takes no medication, has no chest pain, and has a normal response to my cardiac stress tests. That's a powerful anecdote, right? Lectins cause cancer. The book explains why, but I'll refrain from getting into that in this podcast as I'm working on an epic deep dive article on cancer prevention, and I'd rather uh, include the research there. So look, look out for that. The book documents numerous other powerful cases of lectin avoidance, arresting and reversing serious terminal diseases. And I know what a skeptic might be saying. These are just anecdotes. Who cares? Well, the book is very rigorously footnoted. Where there's a significant overlap between the anecdotal evidence and the conclusions of published science, the pragmatic biohacker implements. I'll repeat that because it's a really important point. Where there's a significant overlap between the anecdotal evidence and the conclusions of published science, the pragmatic biohacker implements. You can find anecdotes out there on the internet about magic crystals curing cancer, and you can find quote-unquote science urging you to inject mercury. So the critical thinker looks for the intersection of science and a statistically significant body of credible anecdotal evidence when making important decisions about their health and lifestyle. I'll finish by mentioning the Plant Paradox program. Dr. Gundry prescribes a six-week lectin detox program, which involves a cleanse protocol for rebuilding the gut biome. That's uh, If you're struggling with some sort of disease and you've tried a bunch of different things, because so many of our gut biomes have kind of been nuked by antibiotics, either antibiotics that a doctor that a, a foolish doctor prescribed us because of some infection that we were struggling with at one point or just because you've probably spent a decade or two or more of your life eating uh, chicken and and beef and thinking oh it's just chicken and beef and not knowing all of the antibiotics going 
going into it. So the rebuilding of the gut biome is is pretty crucial and he really breaks it down. It's it's very thorough and this book review is long enough already. So you'll just have to read the book for that. The book provides a very thorough list of lectin-free foods, lectin-rife no-go foods, and foods with moderate amounts of lectins that you can indulge in infrequently. I think it's worth picking up for that alone. It'll give you really good information. So I rated the book five stars. This is one of the better health books I've read this year. It's well-written for being a health book that relatively adroit Lay people will easily be able to understand everything in it. It has uh, great metaphors that are made in it. It's not uh, it's not an indecipherable uh, science text like uh, some books that I've read that I'm like, ooh, I need a lot of smart drugs to get through this book. So I'd highly recommend it to anyone struggling with obesity, autoimmune disease, or cancer. Otherwise healthy younger people just looking to optimize their diet might not need to read it cover to cover, but should at least skim the lists of problematic, especially lectin-rife foods, and cut them out. So that is my book review of The Plant Paradox. I enjoyed it quite a bit. I do hope that you drop me a comment. If this is something that you've tried, uh, let me know how it worked out for, for you. I'm always interested in hearing from people on the ground out there, hearing from the biohackers who are implementing things and figuring out what works for them. I'm Jonathan with Limitless Mindset, looking forward to a continued conversation with you. legal notices. If you or someone you know developed or created a concept, piece of content, or idea shared on this show, please email us at info at limitlessmindset.com so we can mention them in the show notes or provide a backlink. We want to give credit where credit is due. As a listener to the Limitless Mindset Podcast, we hope you have and practice common sense. However, since some of the content covered in this show deals with subjects of a health, legal, or business nature, this show is for entertainment purposes. If you need recommendations of doctors, nutritionists, or attorneys to consult before making decisions that may have health or legal repercussions, please email us at info at limitlessmindset.com.